Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. Today is episode five, a letter to the woman struggling with depression and anxiety. We're welcoming to the podcast, Caitlin Simon, who I met, let's see, two years ago at Prayer in Action when we were in Western Kansas together and she just is finishing her degree from K-State and we're excited to welcome her to the podcast. Hello, Caitlin. Hi, Chloe. <laughs> This is so exciting to talk to you. I remember when I first met you, and you told me that you were working on a degree in interior design, and I was like, gosh dang it, I wish that I had known that that degree existed, because I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I would have majored in history if I knew that I could major in interior design. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting most days, you never know what you're going to be doing, so not your typical office job. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, that works though. If you're ever looking for like oh, you know, I have tons of extra time. You can feel free to come over and decorate our apartment and <laughs> practice your skills. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. So um, today's letter to women is a letter to a women struggling with depression and anxiety. And I know that you had given a talk at St. Isidore's, which is the Newman Center at K-State here in Kansas. And I had gotten a chance to listen to the audio and was just blown away by like how much vulnerability um, you're able to show and just your incredible story about your journey with depression and anxiety. So just to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman and your mental health journey? Okay, so um, I've been Catholic my whole life. Um, You know, coming from Wichita, Kansas, which is my hometown, um, it's a big Catholic community. And so I was a cradle Catholic, Mm -hmm. um, born and raised, and I went to Catholic schools from kindergarten through my senior year of high school. Um, And so, you know, always grew up around that. We lived like two blocks away from our parish in Wichita. And so uh, my parents really instilled in me to make faith first Mm because we, no matter what we were doing, we were, uh, no matter where we traveled to, um, like one of the first things we did after, like while we were planning the trip was to figure out what the closest um, Catholic church was at. And so I think that was something that was very instilled in me from a young age is to have that discipline in your faith and to always, um, you know, go to mass every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that foundation, and then, you know, obviously getting 13 years of theology courses, yeah. um, really helped make that foundation strong enough so that whenever I did need something, I did like always have, I knew where to turn because, um, I don't really have a pinpoint of where, like what time in my life that my depression started. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of had always been there and I just, um, kind of slowly started to, uh, get stronger symptoms. I think it's mm. just, uh, there were things that were, had been there from a young age and they started to get gradually worse, especially around puberty and around high school. Mm-hmm. And so, um, also during, you know, the time in high school and middle school, I started to realize slowly that more and more of my family members also struggled with, uh, depression and anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd found out through the course of a few years that all the women on my mother's side of the family suffer from depression and that several people on my father's side of the family suffer from depression. Wow. And also that my great grandmother had committed suicide and she'd done that when my grandmother and my mother were pretty young. You know, that kind of an impact really, um, the impact of suicide has kind of, uh, I've seen how it can affect everyone mm-hmm. afterwards, even generations after. Yeah, that's uh, so true. So I mentioned before, I 
like grew up in this Catholic family that really, um, you know, held this great discipline towards the faith. Um, and so really kept, um, you know, Sunday mass at the forefront and really, um, pushed us to, um, study the faith well. Mm -hmm. And so I had this great family life. Um, I have two parents that, you know, sacrificed everything for me. Um, I have a brother and a sister who we had a very normal childhood, Mm -hmm. but I kept finding myself being unhappy. And I kind of was in denial for several years about what was going on. And like, I kind of thought that, you know, what I'd been feeling and experiencing was pretty normal. And then I started to realize like more and more, or I started to realize that a lot of my friends weren't as unhappy as I seem to be or I started talking to some friends in high school that they were going to see a therapist because they were depressed and they were having anxiety attacks and things and I was just like oh well, like you know I kind of feel that way too like what does this mean mm-hmm. uh, and so I kind of did when I was a sophomore in high school I did research on my own oh wow and, you know like googled yes what is depression oh. literally printed this out, like highlighted symptoms that matched mine. And so like, I kind of knew mm-hmm. before I ever got like a formal diagnosis. And so, um, when I finally, um, like junior year of high school, I like, broke down and told my mom about it. Um, it was really overwhelming, but it was really great time as well because my mom's a nurse. So she was able to, um, get me all of the resources I needed as quickly as possible. And so we like immediately had a doctor's appointment set up so that I could talk to my physician. Um, so, and as soon as I got that set up, then it was like really quickly was put on antidepressants and was getting gotten into contact with a uh, therapist that I could talk to. So um, even though it was really scary to kind of like admit all these things that I'd been thinking and feeling for years and months, um, it, I was in a really great place and a really great family that I was able to start healing really quickly because, um, not only is my mom a nurse, but she had gone through that as well. So yes, that's kind of where the healing journey began was my junior year of high school and I was um, 16 years old. Wow. That's incredible. How did, when you went through, that was in high school. So when you were going into college, you kind of like knew that you were struggling with depression and that there was that family history there and had the support of your family. How did depression and anxiety affect like what your college career looked like? Yeah. So, um, I had a really great, uh, recovery in high school Mm -hmm. because, you know, I had that great support system. Um, I started to tell more and more friends in high school what was going on so that they could be, you know, involved in that part of my life. Um, and they were really supportive too. And so my, the end of my junior year and all of my senior year was very positive. Like there were still some struggles, but um, it was really positive experience. And I had done super well in therapy. I was learning things really quickly and mm-hmm. I um, had the drive to change things about my life to make improvements. Mm-hmm. And so everything was really good. Um, and I had gone into college just kind of like thinking you know this is great I can overcome this mm-hmm. um and then like as soon as start things started to get bad I immediately thought to like one of my teachers in high school who she had been really open about her mental health struggles and mm-hmm. so I of course told her um as soon as I started getting therapy and she told me like that's great I'm so happy for you that you like um are getting help And she was like, but I just want you to know, like, 
um, the struggle doesn't really end. Like this doesn't Mm -hmm. go away. Um, Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately I learned that multiple times in college that this isn't something that's going to go away, that sometimes your hard work and your dedication to your self-care um, sometimes it isn't enough. It's really, it's a really powerful illness, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which is one reason why it's so important to talk about is because as even though we think someone might be getting better, it's uh, still really powerful. So uh, college is stressful, like mm-hmm. everyone knows. Yes. So, <laughs> um, and I had a kind of a stressful first year with, uh, so a major in interior design means a lot of studio hours and a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of you know, all nighters sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, I wasn't doing my first semester wasn't a semester of, uh, gen eds, like some college students experience. And so mm-hmm. I think I started to get a little more anxious and feel a little more, um, a little more negative because when I got out of high school, I was like, I had a very positive attitude and I had a very positive um, outlook on life despite everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, the stress coupled with my uh, uh, disorder just kind of made things a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, and so uh, one thing that I experienced um, during my college career was that uh, that was really frustrating with this condition is that I'd been on an antidepressant for four years. And so this was a a low dosage medication that I took every single day. Um, and I did feel like physical benefits from it. And mm-hmm. I was like super happy that I did it. And I was very disciplined in taking it. Um, I didn't you know, miss a lot of days. I was pretty good about always taking it on time. Mm-hmm. Um, but after four years, I started to notice some symptoms coming back and it was kind of scary because I, you know, I remembered how hard I had worked in my therapy during high school. And I was just like, you know, everyone wants to be happy. So I was really frustrated to not be feeling happy and to have some symptoms. Yeah. So I talked to my mom and she suggested I go see the doctor. And when I was there, they said, well, like, you know, they checked me out and they asked me tons of questions and, you know, there wasn't any big stresses in my life at the time. And so they thought maybe my life or my body had just become used to the medication. Mm. And so that was just something very frustrating to hear that. Okay. Well, medicine's not working. So we're just going to try and double the dosage and just, you know, see how that works. Oh, and wow. You get back to us in, and how this works is because you do like a low dosage every day so that it just gradually builds up in your body and mm-hmm. you have to continue taking that. Uh, and so your body has to become used to that dosage. And so it takes about, uh, two to three months oh my gosh. to see any improvement. So yeah, it was just really frustrating. So yeah, that kind of, that kind of got me down and um, I didn't fully like come to terms with that. So I, that was something that I was like harboring some anger and frustration about. And so it didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know you'd said, you'd mentioned this before too, that a lot of people who like don't know the ins and outs of like um, medication is like that, how, how long it does take to go through and process and see if it's going to work. And you can go, you know, be at the end of that three months and be back at square one if that double dosage didn't take an effect, but how much of a time lapse can go on between those appointments. And so that it's not like, you know, an instant yeah. fix, which is, you know, I remember like going to, you know, doctor's appointments and being put on medication for like physical things. And you're like, oh, you know, you can expect your cold to be gone in a couple of days or 
yeah, this antibiotic for your fever will take, you know, maybe a couple of weeks to get through it, but you'll see results super quick. So for like mental yeah. health, depression, you know, and anxiety medication for that to take so long, I think is something that I didn't ever realize until I had listened to your talk. So. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, because when I, when I was 16, I was on um, one medication that actually um, increased some symptoms. So for example, I don't, um, in really low points in my life, um, in really low moments, I don't eat a lot and I'm not very hungry mm -hmm. and I'm not, and it's not, for me, it isn't like a eating disorder by any means. Mm -hmm. Like I love food. It's not a body image issue. It's mm -hmm. just like, I physically am not hungry. Yep. And, um, sometimes it's so bad, especially if I'm anxious, it's like, I can't swallow anything else. Like oh, wow. I physically can't, um, or at least it feels that way. It's yeah. very perceptive so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um like that was something that was increased with, with my first medication I also was having trouble sleeping um on my first medication and then I started to have um anxiety attacks which I didn't really have prior to starting medication mm. uh, so that was really bizarre and they that took a while to even kind of figure out that this was the medication so like I remember for a couple of weeks I had to monitor like what food I was eating, when I was eating it, um, and kind of journal like almost every day or journal each week um, talking about like what had been going on in addition to my weekly therapy sessions. Wow. Um, so then we found out that that wasn't working and so I started my second medication and that one worked for a while, um, almost four years, and then we had the issue in my sophomore year of college. Mm -hmm. So it is that's something that I think I remember when I was in high school, like someone who I hadn't seen in a while, like coming to like, we met up again and they were like, so like what's going on? And I was telling them like, um, about therapy and stuff. And they were just like, Oh, like you still have depression. And I was oh like, my gosh. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it doesn't really go away. <gasps> yeah. Um, Holy it's not, cow. you know, like you said, it's not like a cold. Like I don't just take medicine for a while and then it's gone. Like it's just something you have to work through and mm -hmm. sometimes it's stronger than others. Um, but yeah, it takes, it can take a while and um, every person's different and that's why they have to, you know, try these medications out and your brain is a really complex organ. So mm -hmm. they can't just, um, and it's a hard organ to just like test and scan so and also you know a brain scan is super expensive but anyways True. they can't really just like scan your brain and look at you and know like exactly what medication is going to work with you mm -hmm. um so you know it's kind of the unfortunate side of god creating us all uniquely is the fact that um, we all react uniquely to medicine and, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah that's so true throughout your story have you found like you had mentioned someone that you had ran into who was like kind of shocked that you're still dealing with symptoms of depression. Do you think that there's like a stigma against mental health or that people treat mental health and physical health differently from your experiences? Yes, there is a stigma. And I think the stigma is mostly present when I talk to people who are also struggling because we are, um, the people that are struggling with mental illnesses, they're very fearful of what people are going to think of them. Mm. Um, think it which is why a lot of people will hide symptoms and they'll hide feelings and people will um, whenever you talk to someone who has lost a friend to suicide or a loved one to suicide they always say like I didn't understand that they were going through so much I didn't realize that they yeah were struggling through so many things 
and the reason is because we're at least in my experience like I'm very shameful of these feelings like I don't want people to know that I feel so weak at times that I think that death is the only answer like no one wants to admit that they want to harm themselves no one wants to admit that they feel so poorly about themselves that they would see that as an option yeah I mean it's not a good feeling and so often people are hiding that and and another reason they're hiding it is because it's not talked about a lot. They, you feel very crazy, like, mm-hmm. um, especially because, like, since it is a mental illness, like, you know, back in the day, like, people were sent to asylums for the smallest things that were wrong. And so, you know, this, there's still kind of that stigma of that you're crazy or, like, you're a hard person to handle, yeah. uh, you know. And some of that might just be in my head that I, I might just think, assume that people think that way still because, you know, while I'm saying like, yes, there is this stigma, I still like every time I talk to someone new, like I feel like everyone I talk to or everyone I come like open up to about this, they're like, oh yeah, I have like a family member or a friend mm-hmm. that is also struggling with this. Yeah. And so it is a really common ailment that we don't talk about enough um, due to a variety of reasons, but um, a lot of people are still very supportive and very loving and, um, I've had really good conversations and really good opportunities to open up to people and have intimate friendships because um, they're willing to listen or they're willing to ask questions or they're willing to open up about their own struggles as well. Mm -hmm. That's so so true. But I do think that is something that we aren't talking about enough because Mm -hmm. I was telling a friend that, you know, some mental illnesses are considered chronic conditions. And compared to other chronic conditions that we see, like diabetes or maybe cancer or a heart condition, um, you know, there's in those cases, there's a lot of things that you can't control and that you can do treatments for. um, But, you know, there's just some things that are out of our control. With mental illness, there is that element of no control. Mm -hmm. um, But there's also the element of just talking through problems and having safe spaces and making people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that in itself is enough. Like sometimes you don't even need um, to rely solely on medication and solely on um, therapy. Like you need kind of a combination of all of these. And so creating these spaces where people can talk openly about their feelings and their fears and their um, any symptoms that they're having and that they feel comfortable enough to do that. Mm Uh, that can relieve a lot of stress because I think a lot of people just think that there's no way out of their problems. And when you actually sit down and talk through them, uh, you kind of realize that, no, this is just my condition telling me that there's no solutions Mm -hmm. and there really are solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, some chronic conditions are fatal and depression is a fatal condition. You know, if people go through with those suicidal thoughts, Uh, So if we start talking about this more, we're going to start saving lives. And I don't mean that to be dramatic, but like you literally, if you create those safe spaces for people to discuss their feelings um, and discuss their fears, that's when you're going to save someone's life. It's just by listening to them and just by being there for them and maybe not giving them any suggestions or things to do, but just letting them talk it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so true. I remember when you had announced that you were giving that talk at St. Isidore's where there was just amazing to see on Facebook like the response to that talk and, and people come in and say yep I struggle with that too like thanks for bringing that up it's not talked about enough and I, that's so true like it feels like in the news even like 
you'll talk about suicide rates, but we don't talk about the fact that that starts somewhere else. Like no one wakes up in the morning, you know, feeling like death is the only answer, like on day one, like working up to that and how the depression and can like that process looks. And that's not, it's not talked about enough. It definitely isn't. No, because I was just talking to some friends about the uh, Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why. Yeah. And kind of talking about the pros and cons of it. And one thing I said was just like, someone was like, well, they're doing such a great job for mental illness. And I was like, you know, they're really not because mm-hmm. they never really fully mentioned that or fully explained that. Um, it's kind of, from my perspective, they showed a lot of things that happened to her that made her upset. And they didn't explain the fact that, you know, any other high school student that those things might happen to them their first thought is not to commit suicide. You know, someone Mm -hmm. that, you know, a healthy teenager that experiences the things that she experienced, which all were, you know, tough things to deal with. But um, if those things in and of themselves were causes for suicide, you'd see a lot more teens committing suicide. We do have a high rate of teen suicide, but Mm -hmm. uh, the fact is that she had a mental condition that made all of those parts of her life more difficult to deal with than they already were Mm -hmm. yep that's so true and if it's not discussed then it's just you know easily just skipped over and then we don't talk about that that aspect of depression yeah and things get misconstrued in the media all the time like that where yeah they focus on one part but they aren't really thinking about the full story or the background and yeah that's uh, so true yeah that's so true um kind of going back to like a more personal note what are some ways that you combat the symptoms of depression and anxiety? Like what are some things that you've been able to incorporate like into your daily life to be able to work through those symptoms? Yeah. So, um, so one thing that I've been doing recently because I just, um, moved to a new city and Mm -hmm. um, started a full-time job. So I was a little anxious about, um, you know, navigating all of that and, you know, you know, a little worried about, um, if I was capable of completing my job and everything. So, Mm -hmm. um, in those types of anxious moments where I kind of like, like thinking about that stuff a lot can kind of cause me to feel really anxious and maybe even a panic attack is going to come on. Uh-huh. And so during that, I have to practice breathing exercises, which I learned in therapy. Uh-huh. Um, and then also practice meditation techniques um, just to kind of like calm myself down, get myself focused on um, a simple task. So and just kind of, you know, think good thoughts and just remind myself that, you know, you never know until you try. Like, you know, you may think that all of these things are going to go bad and that you should just give up and quit now, but you have to at least put in some effort and you may surprise yourself and, you know, like just kind of have that attitude going in and that can kind of calm me immediately. Um, I also, um, I'm still on medication. Um, I had a lapse where I wasn't taking it regularly. And so I'm trying back again where, um, trying to be more disciplined in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I try to eat right because, um, something that other people don't really realize is that, I mean, your body is so, uh, I don't know how to describe this. Basically like everything interacts with each other. So mm-hmm. your, um, physical health can impact your mental health. Your mental health can impact your physical health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then your spiritual health also can interact with those two as well. And so, making sure that you're keeping all three of those balanced, which of course is really difficult, mm-hmm. especially as a college student. But, yes. You know, trying to make sure that you're putting good things into your body, um, making sure that you're exercising, making sure that you're taking time for prayer. Um, those can all be really good things to do. So beneficial to get, you know, like uh, 
uh, cardio almost every single day, like at least 30 minutes of like, uh, you know, cardio Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because that's just going to release endorphins and like every health nut and athlete will tell you that, that they always feel better after a workout. Yeah. And it's so true. Like before you start the workout, you feel like crap. (laughs) You're just like, you make all these excuses. Like, I don't want to work out. I don't want to get sweaty. I'm going to have to shower again. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm-hmm. You know, you name it. So, but it um, exercise is one of the most immediate ways that you can get um, some physical relief. So, um, because you're instantly going to feel better about yourself just for accomplishing something difficult, mm-hmm. um, but you're also like your body is physically producing some hormones that are going to send um, positive things your way. So, um, that's one of the hardest things to do, though, as someone that's depressed, um, because. Like, I can remember when I was in college, just knowing, like, you know, if I went for a run, if I went for a bike ride, like, I'd probably feel a lot less stressed and I would, you know, feel a lot better, but I don't have time. And, like, I'd make excuses for, um, you know, I should be doing homework instead of working out. Or mm. there'd be times when it was just, like, way too hard to get out of bed that, um, like, you couldn't make it to the rec or you couldn't make it outside for a run. And so, unfortunately, even though it's one of the most beneficial things that you can do to get an immediate response, um, it's really difficult for someone with depression and anxiety because you have such low motivation. And like, that's one of the biggest, um, symptoms I think is that you have low motivation and you have really low energy levels. So I've heard about people that, you know, they can like just by working out, they can, um, alleviate a lot of their symptoms. They don't have to do anything else. Wow. That's incredible. That's so beautiful. How, how God designed the body to be so intertwined with each other that like, it's not like, like mental health is a separate issue. Like it's you as a person are struggling with that. And so because you're, you know, mind, body, and soul that by being healthy in one of those areas, you can affect the health of, you know, things like your brain and your, your emotions and things like that as well. That's so cool. Yeah. It's so crazy. And it's like, sometimes it's, frustrating because it's like I want to be able to do this and not have it affect another part of my life mm-hmm. um, but then at the same time you know like I want to eat some chocolate cake right now and not have it affect anything <laughs> yeah right <But, laughs> that would be great at the same time if it wasn't intertwined like think about like how boring everything would right be. like it's it's so beautiful that it, we are so complex like yes and that we're so unique yes that's sure. so true that is so so true kind of going back onto like the spiritual side of that how has your relationship with God like grown and changed through the past like through high school and college and now and how has Catholicism helped your healing process as you've kind of gone through this depression and and anxiety and and are on the healing process through that so like everyone um you know life has ups and downs and your spiritual life has ups and downs Mm -hmm. and you know sometimes I feel like I'm best friends with God and other times I know I'm not Mm -hmm. really a great friend to him uh but the thing that I love about Catholicism that is so different from every other religion that I've learned about is that um, they really put this value in suffering and not that we should always be suffering, but that like, good things can come from suffering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that has been super beneficial and it's super helpful during the healing process because like I mentioned earlier, like having that background um, in the faith was really helpful because it's just like, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting there thinking like, why am I suffering? Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like worthless? And like, no one cares. It's just like, there's always these reminders. Like you just look at a crucifix and it's like, why did God have to suffer in that way? Mm -hmm. And then in thinking about that, it also reminds you that, 
Christ suffered just like us. Like, I'm not alone in this suffering. I'm not the only person in the world who has ever suffered, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Even God himself um, suffered grief and suffered sadness and suffered torment and suffered doubt. So um, I think my faith has been helpful in that aspect in that I've, there are examples um, in our faith from Christ himself and then from the saints and from Mary on how to handle all of these situations. Mm-hmm. And then um, one big thing that I learned early on um, uh, during my, like I guess, healing process, I would say, is that a lot of times I felt like I was relying on someone else um, for my happiness or to help me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I typically would rely on like maybe one or two people. And so I was relying on these very human people to fulfill my happiness and to make me feel better and to be there when I was down. And you know, that's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. That's not like you, God created us um, to have community and to have people to love us, but like to only trust in one other human person, um, you're gonna get burned. Like, yeah, it's not meaning to. Like, people are gonna, they'll do their best to love you, but they're always gonna mess up and you're gonna mess up too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing that I had to learn was that I need to, you know, give everything to God first and then start talking to other people about my problems mm-hmm. because, um, he's ultimately going to give me the most peace. And then, so by taking things to him, I'll get peace from that. And then maybe not immediately, of course, um, sometimes immediately, sometimes not. Uh, but then afterwards, I, when I talk to other people, it is some additional peace. It helps me grow in intimacy with others, like I mentioned, and then it also can be beneficial for other people to hear because um, I think one of the biggest blessings that I've been experiencing by sharing my story is that I'll have friends who I didn't even know were struggling admit to me that they've been suffering and that by me telling them, they were able to open up to me. And so that um, deepening and intimacy with other people has been um, a really cool part of this and something that I never would have experienced if I didn't go through this. Mm -hmm. And so you know, when someone always asks, like, what's one thing that you could change about your life if you could? Like, I don't know that I would actually change any of this because, you know, the church teaches us that so much good can come out of suffering and sadness. Um, you know, a lot of times people turn away from God because they don't understand why suffering happens on earth and why, you know, a young child might die from cancer. But yeah. And even though I still don't understand those things, I know that good comes out of everything. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think that those teachings on suffering and the teaching on the mercy of God has just been um, something that was super, super helpful through every moment that I've gone through. That's um, so neat. That's so cool. But of course, I still, um, I'm like everyone else. We're still normal people. You yeah. Know? Like, I still have moments where I'm struggling to pray every single day or struggling to pray faithfully and like mm-hmm. fully, but mm-hmm. um yeah, during the hard moments, God's always the one that's constant. You know, that's something that we've we learned when we were little, and it's definitely held true. Um, God is constantly there. So, um, yeah, my faith has definitely been very helpful because sometimes, you know, like medicine works for a while, but then it fails. Like mm-hmm. God's always there. He's always waiting. Um, there's always an adoration chapel or at least a church that I can go to and kind of um, really feel his presence if I if I need to. Um, kind of physically feel that presence of the Holy Spirit so that's so cool I like how that 
that Catholicism makes sense out of suffering. Like, it's not this pointless, like, and just, like, faith in general. Oh, my word. Like, I would be an awful person if I didn't have faith to, to lean on. Because, like you said, like, everything else is just so unstable. And in, in even humans will fail us that we love will fail us. And so that's so true. I think, too, like, the beauty of being able to, like, unite your suffering to Christ, too. Like, um, and realize that being able to suffer is a way of, you know, participating in the, in Christ's suffering for us. And if we can offer that to him too, how much of a consolation that that can be to his heart too. So yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Because it's crazy. Like, you know, one of the biggest celebrations in uh, the Catholic church is Easter. And it's after this intense period of suffering and, Mm -hmm. you know, Lent is supposed to be this penitential season. Um, and just the beauty that comes out of that, like people growing in closeness to Christ by uniting suffering and sacrifice to him during those 40 days. And then, you know, having this, um, you know, physical reminder that there's this reward at the end, that, yeah. you know, um, resurrections at the end of all of this suffering. Yep. Um, yep. So, so cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I really, I do love our church exactly like you said, Chloe, because we just, there is meaning for everything. Like nothing is without purpose. Yep. That's so true. And he has a plan for it. Like, it looks so messy down here. But can I just can't even imagine the joy of, like, the moment when we get up to heaven. And it's like, oh, that's why. Like, that's why you did that. That makes sense now. And just how much beauty is going to come from coming through this journey. Because that's what Earth is, just a journey to heaven. And being able to look back and say, like, all right, I knew you had me. Like, I knew you were there. And then finally being able to see that. And I think we get like little tastes of that here on earth but then the beauty of getting it in full in heaven is going to be amazing yeah so yeah that's what everyone has to focus on yeah Yeah. true there's there's an end goal like yes you're not wasting your time here yes Uh, that's that's something that can be really common is that you just feel like you're wasting away and there's no point to go on yeah that's so true that's so true and realizing that it's just a little piece, and in comparison with eternity, like, it'll, yeah. it may be a suffering here, but holy smokes, it's going to be blown away by how good God is. So, yeah, yeah that's so true. Um, when you're talking about your struggles and journeys with depression and anxiety, oh, you're, you're amazingly vulnerable, and I'm just blown away by just how open you are about your your struggles and your journey. Why? And we kind of touched on this a little bit throughout this, but why is it important especially in the christian life to have vulnerability and authenticity in like relationships and conversations yeah so i think um you know when i was growing up i just kind of felt like everyone had this perfect life and i just wasn't enough compared to them and Mm -hmm. you know when we start um, being authentic and being real and kind of you know revealing our hearts to people um that's when we start to realize like how human everyone else is um Mm -hmm. i think the reason that I was so inspired to, you know, get up and share my story was because a I knew like how important it was. Like this was a very important topic that I've been passionate about, but I never had been openly talking about it on a large scale. I would just like kind of talk about it just with close friends and uh, maybe the occasional acquaintance. But mm-hmm. um, a big inspiration to me to like go up and do this was when I went to a retreat at uh, the student center at K-State and it was a student-led retreat and people were getting up that I had seen on a regular basis that I hung out with a lot at the student center. I would see a mass every week 
and they were sharing their stories and their testimonies and they had shared things during that retreat that I never knew they were struggling with that I never would have assumed that they had struggled with just because they were so joyful and filled with Christ and so um, on fire for God or um, you know or they had that perfect social media um, you know life Mm -hmm. displayed for everyone Um, that was when I really realized like wow like I feel like I connected with these people on a whole nother level like I thought that we were good friends but like I just I can't even believe this and so it was just like I really wanted to give that talk at K-State because I thought that, you know, if I give this rather than us hiring a speaker, you know, um, there might be someone out there that's a little more um, knowledgeable about mental health than I am. I just have my own personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it seems so much more impactful to come from someone that you see on a regular basis, that you've seen go through college, that you've seen, you know, um, adoration on the weekends, like, um, I just think it was, it's just so important for people to see their peers um, that you can still be going through these things and still be successful. Because sometimes I feel like if we, you know, see a video about it or read about it in class or maybe we watch a celebrity do it, like those are all really good things. And that's all working towards that, um, you know, advocacy for mental health, um, but really getting to hear it from people that you interact with personally. Um, those are the biggest impacts that you can have. And so that's why it's so important to not only open up to family members and friends, but to kind of open up to the, your um, larger communities and kind of spread your voice and your story that way as well. Mm-hmm. That's so neat. I remember I went I, I went on a very similar retreat at Washburn my sophomore year of college and had that exact same um, kind of experience where it was like, wow, like I had no idea that that had happened to you, you know, to friends from that campus center, or I had no idea you were struggling with this. And I remember that year they gave this book away and the title that was like, I'm not okay. You're not okay. And that's okay. Like it just, it, that whole retreat was just like, no one's perfect. Like we're all human and everyone struggles with something. And so it was so beautiful that weekend to just be like, okay, like I'm not alone. And that was such a big help for me was just this realization that like, yeah, you know, I struggle with, with issues, but I'm not the only person going through that. And I'm not an island where I have to survive on my own. And it was incredible to just know that there was community out there to go through issues. So yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And I think especially with um, how our culture is right now with, you know, constantly posting about what you're doing and um, they're just, they're naturally became this culture of posting the best version of yourself and yep. we're kind of seeing people stray away from that but more and more we need to continue to talk um about what we're struggling with because like you said like we need to be talking about the fact that we're not okay like um and it's okay that we're not okay but that also means that um because you're not okay you also need to get help so talking yes. about people who have gotten help is like so important and to show people that you know i got help and it wasn't a waste of time and it was very beneficial and it is worth it, even though it's hard, like, um, yeah, to show them that it's okay that you're not okay. You're not the only one who's not okay. And this is what you can do mm-hmm. to be okay. Exactly. You know? Yep. This is what you can do to get further on in that journey instead of just recognition that like, yeah, I don't have it all together. Okay. But here's how you can grow closer to Christ and work through this and, you know, get to a better spot and not just like, okay, it's, you know, you're not all right. Like, let's just sit in the trenches with each other and just, you know, wallow in that. Like, no, like you're better than that. And being able to encourage each other in that only happens when you're authentic and vulnerable because I mean, if not, then no one ever knows that, you know, someone else is going through that too. So, yeah. Yeah. Because the people that I have been, you know, 
open with, like, there's lots of people in my life that know that I struggle with depression, but it's not something I talk about every single day. Like, mm-hmm. I experience it every day, but I don't talk openly about it every day. Mm-hmm. I have really great friends and family who periodically will check in with me. And, like, maybe I haven't been actively thinking about how I'm doing, but them coming to me and reminding me, like, hey, like, let's take a step back and kind of gauge where you've been the last few weeks or the last few months. Like, how's everything been going? Yep. And so having people, like, by me being open, I have this accountability where my loved ones care about me and they're like, hey, is everything still going good? Like, are you doing okay? Do you need anything? Like, um, that's been so helpful to have people that are kind of, they're helping me on that because sometimes I, you know, lose track. I get caught up in life and I don't think about my health. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's so true. If someone kind of going off of that, if someone's listening to this podcast and they know someone in their life who's struggling with depression or anxiety, what can they do like from a friend's perspective and as a friend to help them along that path? Yeah. So I think the first thing is to um, be supportive in the sense that you take everything that they are saying seriously. Because I think some people um, have had the misfortune of Um, people not taking them seriously and not Mm -hmm. really believing that there's a problem there. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest things you can do is just kind of acknowledge that they're struggling with something and you may not have any solutions and you may not be experienced with how to give them advice, but just acknowledging that, you know, you understand that they're feeling that and you understand that um, that's something that they're going through, whether you understand fully or not. um, That's something that's very huge for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then encouraging them to get help because don't, I think one big thing is that some people want to, we naturally have this desire to help the ones that we love, um, but with mental health, um, I think it's really important to be supportive, but don't try to fix their problems, because mm-hmm. sometimes they're going to, most of the time, they're going to need professional medical advice, and so to really encourage them to go and get that help that they need and be there to support them um, for the aftermath and for the during and all of that. Um, being like their shoulder to cry on, that's something that you can definitely do, but don't try to be their advice giver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, unless you do have a medical degree, um, <laughs> then you're qualified. <laughs> maybe then you're qualified, but yeah, there's just, it's, uh, it's mental illnesses are very complicated and complex. And mm-hmm. so at, the, at least they can be. And so um, encourage people to get help and then be persistent because there's going to be times when your friends, They want to get help and they want to be healthy. And then there's going to be times where the mental illness will take over and they want to give up again and they want to stop and they want to stop trying. And so just being persistent and consistent um, in supporting them and encouraging them because there's going to be moments where, you know, like if the medicine isn't going well and they're having symptoms from that and that's frustrating and that can almost be a reason to quit taking medicine altogether Mm -hmm. or to quit trying treatments. um, And then... Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just like you have to encourage them and um, let them know that they're not alone in this, that there's not they're not the only person that has struggled with this and that um, there are plenty of celebrities if they want to like look up um, a celebrity story. Like there are plenty of like, you know, videos or podcasts that they can listen to about other people that maybe they know or don't know yeah. who struggled and have sought help and have been held successful lives. And so by showing them that, you know, like this person, you know, made a suicide attempt or this person has thought about suicide in depth and, um, you know, got healthier and has, you know, you know, they graduated from college and they got a job and they got married and had a family. And like, they did all these things that you want to also do, like showing them that there is hope and that there are people out there that are feeling the exact same way as them. That's so true. Um, 
I think those are important things to do. For sure. On the flip side of that, if someone's listening to this and they themselves are struggling with their mental health, what resources would you direct them to? Um, so, oh, I should have had this prepared, but there are these hotlines um, available. And so those are um, 24-7 hotlines that you can talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are very helpful. I would also recommend if you're a Catholic or you're a Christian and you're listening to this, um, there are resources um, like catholictherapist.org, I believe. Yep. Um, there are websites that you can actually search for Catholic therapists in your area. Um, and so if your faith is important to you, like they can kind of um, use your faith in those therapy sessions. And um, I read this book called The Catholic Guide to Depression, which is also something I would recommend whether you suffer or you don't suffer. but um, in that book, a Catholic therapist wrote the book. Um, he talks about how um, your faith, since it does place such an impact in your physical and mental health, mm-hmm. uh, it's sometimes helpful to either you know get a Catholic therapist or in addition to having a therapist, maybe see a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are kind of you know, healing those mental wounds and those physical wounds and also healing those spiritual wounds as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one important distinction he does make is that it's um, as great as it is to have someone who shares your faith or shares a faith in something other than this world, um, it is really important to have a talented and licensed and professional medical professional. And so to not mm-hmm. only rely on spiritual aspects, but to also rely on um, the medical community as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, looking for, um, if you're interested in something like that, to look for Catholic therapists, um, I also use some apps on my phone to help me with meditation. And so that, I think those are, um, helpful tools for anxiety. Um, so one that I've used is called Headspace. And so that's free on Android and Apple devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's self-guided med- or it's a guided meditation and you can like work up to it. And then if you want to pay more money, you can do like specific meditations for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, The other one that I've used, I can't remember the name for, but there are definitely a lot of um, meditation ones out there. Yep, that's for sure. I used the, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Uh, I used Calm. That's it. Yep, yep. Oh, wow. That's the one. (laughs) Which was really good. I thought it was just so helpful. Because, like, when I I went to therapy after we had lost Marion, and that was one thing that he had recommended, and I loved it. Because it was like, okay, like, I know that I need to, you know incorporate meditation into my prayer life more but I just I don't even know where to start and those apps were so helpful like you wouldn't think that something like a phone app could be super helpful but like it was incredibly helpful yeah I especially because I think a lot of people whether you are diagnosed with anxiety or not a lot of people if you're very stressed out you take all those stresses with you when you go to bed and so a lot of Mm -hmm. times I struggle to fall asleep and so I use those those meditation apps to kind of calm myself and asleep yep they're super helpful super super Um, helpful yeah and then also obviously last thing is like you know use the bible because there Mm -hmm. is a verse and a story for every um emotion or experiencing you might be experiencing Mm -hmm. and so god's word is can be very therapeutic as well that's so true that is so true that's a good point well thank you so much for your vulnerability. Thank you for sharing your story. All the um, 
things that you have mentioned in the resources and throughout the podcast, I'll put in the show notes so that if you're listening, you can access those really quickly um, on my on my blog and on the website. But thanks so much, Caitlin. Thank you so much for just your honesty. And you have no idea how helpful it is from someone who has gone through like counseling to hear somebody who is open about their story and talks about it. Because like you said, there's so much power and being able to realize that you're not going through this alone and that there's answers and that you can get help for what you're going through so thank you thank you yes well thank you chloe it's um as crazy as it is like to it provides a lot of healing when you open up too so it's Mm -hmm. uh it's as healing as it as it is for a lot of the listeners out there it's really healing for me to know that people care about this topic and people care to hear my story and Mm -hmm. care to hear that um about this issue so and it's also just wonderful, like like you mentioned, like if I open up, then I get to hear more about other people who are also struggling, and that gives me more peace and calmness about I'm not alone in this. So, um, yeah, That's it was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And know of our prayers, too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. Check out the show notes for this episode at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. And there you're going to be able to find all the books and apps that Caitlin mentioned, as well as hotline information and websites to find local Catholic counselors. If you have an extra minute, please go and rate and review this podcast so that more listeners will be able to find it on iTunes. And that's all I have for this episode. So stay tuned for more episodes. And until then, be not afraid.